Chapter Eight of Carpenter's World Travels, Alaska, Our Northern Wonderland, by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Chapter Eight: Farmlands of the Future. I have just had my first view of the practical possibilities of Alaskan farming. Our agricultural department's experimental station at Sitka is the headquarters from which the four other experiment stations are managed one of these is at rampart on the yukon river near the arctic circle another is near fairbanks in the rich valley of the tanana in the heart of alaska a third is on the island of kodiak not far from seward and the fourth is in the matanuska valley which is being opened up by the government railroad kodiak is bigger than puerto rico its specialty is stock raising and dairying the fairbanks station which is in the center of a great agricultural region is devoted to all-round farming rampart is so far north that it forms the best place for experiments in raising oats barley and wheat for planting in cold lands at matanuska grain hogs cattle and potatoes are raised the government farm at sitka lies under the shadow of mount verstovia about a quarter of a mile from the town the experiments here are chiefly in raising vegetables berries and small fruits this is because of the character of southeastern alaska which though a region of rich vegetation is better adapted to small farms and truck gardens than to large-scale farm operations i wish i could show you the vegetation of southeastern alaska for the last month i have been traveling along the coast and in and out among the islands and the flowers and trees are a series of surprises the topography of the country is much like that of the alleghanies or the blue ridge but the forests are thicker and the growth is denser nearly everywhere the bushes are so thick that it would be impossible to make a way through them without an axe or a knife beginning at the water's edge the forest runs to the snow line about a thousand feet above the sea for that distance the trees are choked with undergrowth but above it the heavy vegetation disappears and a carpet of grass or moss stretches up to the edge of perpetual snow everywhere in the forest there is spongy ankle-deep moss many of the trees are hung with mosses and the bushes beyond the tree line seem to bend over and cling to the ground bowed down i suppose by the heavy snow which lies upon them during the winter the chief trees are evergreens there are many spruce and red and yellow cedars including a vast deal of timber which would make wood pulp and which in the future will probably supply the newspaper demands of the states the indians use the cedar bark to make rope and they tear out the inner part of it and weave it into baskets and cloaks and then the wild flowers they grow everywhere there are alpine geraniums goldenrod and buttercups and bluebells with cups an inch long there are yellow violets and red daisies and lilies as black as ink there are rosy laurel and pink bryanthus and little blue forget-me-nots such as we have at home southeastern alaska has three varieties of orchids and other air plants as well this is a land of berries the salmon berry which is ripe throughout the summer is twice as large as the largest raspberry and tastes much the same there are also raspberries that grow on the ground and cranberries of several varieties there are wild strawberries and blueberries and red huckleberries 
Strawberries are raised commercially at Haines and are shipped to Juneau and other towns. As to the cultivated parts of southeastern Alaska, they are so few at this writing that they are hardly worth mentioning. Coming up from Seattle, the tourist does not see a dozen farms bigger than a bedspread, and in most places the land is so steep that it reminds me of West Virginia, where it is said the corn is planted with shotguns from the opposite hills. Nevertheless, back in the valleys are little cultivated patches where the pioneers have cleared off the dense timber and set up their homes. Professor C. C. Georgeson, who is at the head of the government agricultural experiments in the territory, tells me that there will eventually be many small farms scattered throughout this part of Alaska. He says that they will grow up to supply the mining centers with vegetables and fruits. He does not expect them to come soon, believing that it will be the task of a generation or so to clear the forests and take off the moss. He thinks the coast region is best adapted to gardening, chicken raising, and dairying, while the natural grass meadows may be utilized for stock raising. Small farms are already growing up about many of the fishing stations. One of the best of these is that of C. A. Burkhart, the president of the Alaska Pacific Fisheries at Yes Bay, just north of Ketchikan. He tells me that he raises rhubarb with leaves as big as a parasol and stems the length of a baseball bat and quite as thick. He grows strawberries four inches in circumference. Mr. Burkhart, who spends only his summers in Alaska, takes his Jersey cow Daisy back and forth with him each season. She was first brought up on account of Mr. Burkhart's baby daughter, and the experiment worked so well that Daisy has spent her summers in the north ever since. She seems to know when the time has come to flit southward. She goes on board the ship without urging and thrives under these changes. At the Sitka Experiment Station, there are acres of strawberries and raspberries and orchards of apples, cherries, and apricots. The strawberries are finer than I have seen in any part of the United States or Europe. The plants are vigorous and are loaded with fruit. I saw some berries almost as big as hen's eggs and many over an inch in diameter. These big berries have been produced by cross-breeding the wild native plants with other strawberries brought here from all parts of the world. There are now several thousand different kinds of strawberries growing at the station, but nearly all of them have more or less Alaskan blood in their veins. I wish you could taste them. They are strawberry all through. Only a few have a tart flavor, and most of them are so delicious that they fairly melt in your mouth. The plants are much hardier than our strawberries and bear for about two months, yielding fruit as late as September. Among the other experiments going on at the station is the crossing of salmonberries with the raspberry. The salmonberry, which is as big as the largest blackberry, is red or pale yellow. It is delicious to taste and is used in great quantities all over Alaska. Raspberries also will grow well almost anywhere, and the crossing is successful, although the new fruit partakes more of the flavor of the salmonberry. The station is also breeding apple and cherry trees that will grow in parts of the territory, and is making experiments with filberts and other nuts of the hardier varieties. The most surprising things on the farm are its pansies, poppies, roses, and other beautiful flowers. Among the pansies now growing are many as big around as the bottom of a tumbler, 
and some are as black as ink and as soft as silk plush there are also roses of exquisite perfume and poppies of the most brilliant red and as big around as a tea plate these poppies which come from asia and are perennial are among the new wonders of alaska i went over the experiment farm with director georgeson there is no man better fitted by ability and experience for his position when i met him in japan years ago on my first newspaper trip around the world mr georgeson then a professor in the imperial college of agriculture at tokyo was introducing modern farming into the land of japan born in denmark he had been trained in farming on some of the large estates of that country before he came to the united states for more than twenty years professor georgeson has been in charge of uncle sam's farming interests in alaska he has traveled all over the territory studying its soils its climate plant life and farming possibilities he has been the manager of a half dozen different experiment stations and has combed the world for grasses and plants suited to this part of the united states we were looking at some alfalfa grown from seed imported from siberia when i asked professor georgeson to give me his idea of the future of alaskan farming he replied there is no doubt that alaska will some day support a large farming population i see no reason why the territory should not eventually have a stable population of three millions or more we are discovering new plants and grains every season this alfalfa for example will grow all along the yukon and we have made successful experiments with it north of that river i estimate that alaska has about one hundred thousand square miles that can be used for agricultural purposes that means that it has sixty-four million acres or an agricultural area as large as the states of pennsylvania maryland delaware new jersey connecticut massachusetts vermont and new hampshire it must not be understood that all this land is available for cultivation however for the estimate includes about fifty thousand square miles which will have little value except for grazing purposes of this territory about fifty seven million acres lie in the interior beyond the coast range of mountains the other seven million acres are in the coast region and on the islands nearby each section will have its own crops based on its soil and climate some of the islands will be devoted to grazing and dairying while from the gardens of southeastern alaska vegetables will be shipped to seattle and command a higher price than the puget sound produce on account of their superior quality indeed such shipments are even now being made in answer to my question whether alaska would ever raise dairy products for the united states professor georgeson replied there is no reason why it should not the climate of the aleutian islands is so mild that in many years hardy cattle and sheep can stay out all winter or be kept over with a small amount of hay and fodder we can also raise cattle in the yukon valley though there they have to be fed during nearly eight months of the year in the interior grass grows as high as my head and our experiments have shown that it is possible to raise many varieties of hardy grains tell me something about the soil of alaska how does it compare with that of the best parts of the united states the best soil of our middle west replied professor georgeson can be duplicated in very few places on earth i doubt whether alaska has any agricultural area 
equal to that the country has no prairie lands and there are no extensive bodies of uniform quality still some parts are excellent for farming the silt loam of the tanana valley will compare in productiveness with some of the best soil to be found elsewhere and we have at the fairbanks station land excelled only by the rich prairie soils of the middle west there are good lands in the matanuska and susitna valleys and in fact there are millions of acres that can be made into farms where will be the farming center of alaska there will be many such centers said professor georgeson farms will spring up about every important mining settlement fairbanks is the largest of the gold camps today and that region has the most and best farmers since the government decided to build the railroad two or three hundred families have located homesteads in the matanuska valley with a view to supplying the demands of the coal mines of that region there are a number of successful farms in the neighborhood of seward and many small ones about juneau which is another mining center of great importance there are little places scattered throughout this part of the territory and indeed wherever there is a local market you will find a farm center these will grow and as new settlements are established other farms will be opened up would you advise americans to come to alaska to engage in farming i ask yes if they understand the conditions and know what they are going to find when they reach here and are ready to stay and grow up with the country i would not advise people to rush in pell-mell and take up homesteads wherever they can be found simply because uncle sam will give them a farm for nothing the would-be speculators will stand a slim chance of making money by a rise in land values there is no land for sale and uncle sam is the sole owner he will give his real estate only to bona fide settlers who will keep on the job the farmers most likely to succeed are the men who know the climate and what crops can be grown norwegians and swedes and finns have been brought up under conditions such as we have here they are used to long winters and short summers they understand the methods of culture necessary and they are i believe best suited to the country how much money should a young man have who wishes to take up a homestead give me some idea of the cost of clearing the land the right young man might come to alaska without any money and make a success said professor georgeson but in that case he would have to work for wages for other farmers or in the mining camps to get sufficient to live on until his farm paid his path would not be an easy one on the other hand if he had a thousand dollars or so he could buy a team of horses or yoke of oxen and some farm tools he could put up a modest house and furnish it he might still have to work out occasionally but he could soon clear enough land and get a sufficient start in cattle sheep and poultry to make life on the farm practicable such a man should locate on land that is already surveyed by the government and he should investigate the cost of implements furniture and freight before starting he will find the freight rates high the average price from puget sound to fairbanks has been about sixty dollars a ton but the rate via the new government railway in carload lots will it is thought eventually be only half this much if the man could have four or five thousand dollars it would be better still but with that amount of money he could make a fair start almost anywhere in the states there is one thing that should be well understood 
continued professor georgeson and that is that the settler must have enough muscle and skill to do most of the work on his own farm if he starts out paying wages for clearing land he will soon be bankrupt the wages of alaska are governed by those paid in the mines of the interior most of which are usually much higher than wages in the states sometimes it has cost us as much as one hundred and twenty five dollars an acre to clear land on the experiment station farms End of chapter eight